quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You've probably seen the flashy tourism ads for California. Glamorous movie stars, tech moguls, and celebrities skiing down snow-covered mountains or surfing waves at sunset beckoning the rest of the world to come to the Golden State. For centuries, people have been fascinated with the West, chasing gold or adventure or escaping lives they've left behind. And California is as West as you can get in the contiguous United States. Ever since it joined the Union in 1850, California has been a destination for dreamers and doers drawn by Hollywood, Silicon Valley, the state's natural beauty, and a sense of limitless possibility. California is where Walt Disney built his fantasy land and where George Lucas took us to a galaxy far, far away. It's no wonder that another California tourism campaign called the state the land of what ifs. Here in California, we believe in what if. After all, if is our middle name. Here we welcome all what ifs with open arms. But recently, a darker what if question has started to take hold. What if California seceded from the United States? Welcome back to Downside Up, a podcast from CNN exploring surprising and strange what-if questions. I'm Chris Eliza, and today we're grappling with the question, what if one of the biggest, most powerful states in the country decided it was time to just leave the union? Could an independent California make it on its own? What would the rest of the United States be like if California left? And is secession even legal? Join us as we turn the American experiment downside up. When most of us think about states seceding from the country, we naturally think about the Civil War. In the 1860s, slaveholding states left the Union and formed the Confederacy, and it led to the bloodiest war in American history, leaving somewhere between 620,000 and 750,000 soldiers dead. So let's just say up top that if California seceding led to another war, it would probably be over pretty quickly. Yeah, as a California, I don't think we would be very effective <laughs> going up against the U.S. military. That's Dr. Lee Ohanian, an economics professor at UCLA, and he doesn't have much confidence in California's ability to defeat the best-funded military in the world. Warfare looks a lot different today than it did in the 1860s. So if California were to leave the country, it'd potentially look more like a divorce than a war. This would be a divorce. <laughs> it could be a very expensive divorce. It is a tall order for a state to secede from the Union. You know, in the absence of creating a conflict, there would have to be some type of negotiated settlement between the state of California and the rest of the United States. The United States would lose a lot if California were to become an independent entity. California is the fifth largest economy in the world, the home to nearly 40 million people. It's got some remarkable economic sectors, including the tech sectors of Silicon Valley and San Francisco. It's home to a lot of entertainment. You know, it's an enormous blockbuster economy. So, you know, the rest of the country, from an economic point of view, would not want to lose California. It's not entirely clear whether secession is even legal. 
But if a state tried to secede, it'd be a little more complicated than Steve Carell declaring bankruptcy on The Office. I declare bankruptcy! After the United Kingdom left the European Union in the infamous Brexit referendum in 2016, and following the election of Donald Trump later that same year, some Californians started pushing for a Cal exit vote, a ballot initiative that would pave the way for California to leave the United States. But the U.S. is not the European Union, and there's no process in the Constitution for how a state can leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's complicated. It's not as if, hey, <laughs> thanks, we're, we're out the door. Right, I figured. This would be a breakup of the union. This would require an act of Congress. That sounds pretty unlikely. Why in the world would the other 49 states ever want to give up the state with the fifth largest economy in the world? Well, one scenario could come down to politics. Let's imagine a scenario involving the 2024 election. And remember, this is just a thought experiment, not a political prediction. Republicans win a congressional majority and the White House. Maybe it's Donald Trump 2.0. Maybe it's Ron DeSantis. Maybe it's someone we've never heard of. It doesn't matter. The important thing here is that Californians all of a sudden decide they want out. And the Republicans in control start to think that idea sounds pretty good. California is just very, very different. It's a very liberal state. It has been for the last 20, 25 years. So there are some quarters that probably would be somewhat happy to say, yeah, you know what? California can go off and be on its own. It's okay with me. California has more electoral votes than any other state, 55. And it has the most congressional representatives, too, 53, 42 of which are Democrats. So if you're a Republican in a position of power, it becomes a lot easier to maintain that power for a long, long time without all those reliable Democratic votes in the way. So as a pure power play, maybe Cal exit doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, you know, from the standpoint of Republican president, that pesky fly that's always buzzing around your head, yeah, wouldn't you love to be able to get it out the door and close it? So for the sake of argument, a Republican government is willing to help California out the door for political reasons. There are still a lot of economic reasons that they'd want to negotiate friendly terms for the divorce. In a lot of divorces, there's a lot of value lost. The two parties might feel like it's best to be apart, but when they both separate, they take stuff with them that the other one's going to miss. So the rest of the 49 would want to make sure that they still had access to California goods and services, agricultural products, to technology. They would still want to make sure that they wanted to visit Disneyland or they wanted to take a vacation along the California coast. They could still do that without having to cross the border and showing your passport. Americans are used to traveling, and Californians rely on tourism for a big part of their economy and on a steady influx of other Americans to move there for work. So this is one open border that even Republicans might clamor for. No one wants to give up Disneyland, and there are good reasons to establish open trade, too. So part of that divorce negotiated with the judge would have to be, hey, let's try to make our future interactions from an economic point of view, let's try to make that as simple as possible. So the European Union is maybe a model for that. So within the European Union, you can cross borders. There's essentially free trade. So we would expect to see something like that. That's what the other 49 certainly would want. With 40 million people, California is a high-income state. 
California's leader in technologies we discussed. California's also leader in agriculture. People often call the valley in California America's breadbasket because of the weather, the soil, so much produce, so much agricultural production takes place here in California. So you're sitting in Nebraska and you're eating a tomato and chances are that tomato came from California or that head of lettuce came from California. A lot of people point out that when it comes to federal taxes, California is a net donor. They pay more into the U.S. tax base than they get back, compared to smaller states like Wyoming, Alabama, or Nebraska. So if they left the U.S., Dr. Ohanian estimates that California could potentially net $125 billion annually, even though they may be giving up things like Social Security, Medicaid, and other federal dollars. And there's a chance they'd have to pay some sort of upfront costs to leave as well. After all, you've got about 150 years of American investment in California. But let's assume California wants out so badly that they're willing to pay any cost and our great big national divorce is finalized. Well, as King George sings in Hamilton, this is where things start to get real. You're on your own, awesome, wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? The two biggest issues that California would really have to confront would be Forming a national government, and that's no small task. No small task is an understatement. Creating your own constitution, creating a national independent entity. So that's a big job. It's also a big job to take on the task of protecting your people from the standpoint of an independent country. So suddenly California would have to create their own militia. The California Republic would need a national army. They'd need a new government and would need to hold a new national election. They'd maybe want a new national flag. They'd need a new national anthem. Goodbye to Francis Scott Key and perhaps hello to Tupac Shakur. Yeah, that'd be my vote anyway. California would also need to build a central bank, a treasury, and a currency. They'd have to establish their own embassies, treaties, and trade policy. So suddenly California would be confronted with the idea of, well, okay, there's 170 some odd countries in the world, including the country we just left, the U.S. Well, we've got to start from scratch and figure out how we're going to economically deal with all of these new entities. And that would be a daunting task as well. But Dr. Ohanian thinks that this may be one area where being a separate nation could actually work out better for Californians in the long run. There are some aspects of U.S. laws that probably aren't working as well for California as California would like. So one area is with international trade and international economic relations. California is just a vibrant piece of the world economy. So one can imagine California engaging in much more liberalized tariff and trade negotiations with China, with Japan, with Singapore, with South Korea than what we have in place right now. So I grew up in Connecticut, and I love my home state, but they probably couldn't be much of a player in terms of world trade. Few states can. But Dr. Ohanian thinks California is one of them. We could also imagine that immigration policy is probably not working all that well for California. You can make the case that immigration policy, what we have right now in the United States, is 40 years old. The immigration policies we have in place are very much country quota base. So we take so many from country A, so many from country B. California would love to see much more liberalized immigration laws. 
Many of California's biggest companies were founded by immigrants. If the United States won't update its immigration policies, maybe an independent California republic could? About half, in fact, even more than half of all successful tech startups are from immigrants. And these are remarkably talented, creative, super intelligent, highly skilled people from all over the world. And U.S. law makes it incredibly difficult for those people to stay here. (laughs) To the extent that California is the leader, you might make the case in the world for high technology with Silicon Valley and San Francisco, all the venture capital that funds these startups. Most of the venture capital in the world is in California. You could imagine California would just love to be able to bring in the next Elon Musk, the next Sergey Brin, really liberalize immigration laws. But you could also imagine a scenario where Elon Musk threatens to leave an independent California over issues like higher taxes or left-leaning politics. Actually, you don't even have to imagine that one. It's what Musk is doing right now. Yes, I, I, I have moved to Texas. So California has been winning for a long time. And I think they're taking it for granted. And that might be where things become more complicated for California. California's politics have moved further to the left than most of America's in the past few decades. And balancing social ideals like, for example, universal health care or stronger climate policies, while also maintaining a friendly business environment, could be as tough of a road for an independent California as it currently is for the United States. California is a high-tax, high-regulation state. To be honest, California is a hard state to start a business and is typically ranked by CEOs as the worst state in the country to do business. So there's a lot of concern, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of disappointment, and that ultimately falls on the backs of who's in charge of politics. Meanwhile, without the reliably liberal votes of California, it's not hard to imagine the rest of the United States moving further to the right doubling down on business-friendly ideas, but also passing national abortion bans or reversing clean energy policies, which could accelerate climate change, even for Californians, which begs the question, would secession even be worth it? And so in the end, we have to just do this because there's no other way. For us, California seceding may be a fun thought experiment, but for Sean Forbes, it's a calling. He's the president of the California National Party. They're urging a California secession for two reasons. They don't think California gets enough back from the rest of the United States. I don't think actually our powers appreciate enough or actually utilize well. And he thinks an independent California would better live up to American values than the rest of the United States is doing right now. I'm looking at it as something where we have to in order to sustain our values because the rest of the country is semi-okay with going into a darker direction. And I think the four years of the Trump administration has really already shown uh, catastrophe and that many people throughout the United States are okay with that catastrophe. I mean, we've had major issues that really kind of cost us any kind of sense that the country is going in a positive direction or can change towards a positive direction. And that's our relationship with a lot of these red states. He envisions a Cal exit similar to the peaceful divorce that Dr. Ohanian outlined above. And he thinks that an independent California could offer an example of better government to the America that they leave behind. He thinks a system more similar to a European parliament with proportional representation would work more effectively. And he argues it would be better for Californians too, even California Republicans. California going independent allows a chance to wipe the slate clean when it comes to a lot of the constitutional framework. So again, we can have proportional representation where smaller parties have a say in 
California government, which they don't know. If we wipe the slate clean, we have different parties come in. They have to do coalitions. They have to actually work together, come up with better ideas. After the break, we'll examine the philosophy and the legality behind the secession movement and hear from one expert who pictures a much darker scenario if California were to leave. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Downside Up. I'm Chris Saliza. And today we're imagining a world where California has seceded from the United States. I'm particularly curious about what's driven all the secession talk of late. Dr. Leo Hanian, an economist at UCLA, thinks it may be the same set of forces that has led to so much dysfunction in national politics. I think it probably can be traced back to a set of voters who think, you know what, life's kind of passing me by. Politicians aren't listening to me globalization is not working for me so well. My dad or mom was working in an auto plant or steel factory and making a great living and had a great pension. And and now I can't get a $50 an hour job in that Ford factory. It's $18 an hour. People are saying, I want a different way of life. I don't see eye to eye with you and I don't see you doing a good enough job for me. And I want to fire you. We saw that in 2016 when, you know, Trump surprised everybody getting elected. We still see that going on. We still see a country that's being pushed further out to the edges. There's a growing discontent in American politics at almost every level. And that may be driving the conversation about secession, whether it's in California, Texas, or anywhere in between. You might think it's far-fetched to California to secede, but the pot is bubbling. But there may be something deeper here, too. In some ways, the philosophy behind secession may be baked into the very DNA of the United States. Richard Kreitner is the author of Break It Up, a book that charts the history of secession movements in America. And he believes this desire to break up has always been there. 
when was America ever really united? There's really no moment in American political history where you can look and say, yep, that, that was the moment we were all together. And I think it does go back to, you know, our political DNA or the very beginning of white colonial settlement in the Americas. The pilgrims were not called pilgrims in their day. They were called separatists because they wanted to separate or secede from the Church of England and establish their own churches. And that was illegal. And that was why they left. So America, in that sense, is founded at the very, very beginning by separatists. And then, of course, the American Revolution, the founding event of our country, is an act of secession from the British Empire. We love the story of Americans coming together to defeat the British Empire and form their own nation. But they did this out of necessity and a common enemy. The 13 colonies actually didn't have that much in common, says Kreitner. They didn't want to have anything to do with one another. The whole idea of coming to America was to be disunited and divided. And it was only very reluctantly that they joined together in what some thought a temporary alliance to fight against the British Empire. And the creation of the country in that sense was kind of a means to the end of winning independence and not an end in itself. And a lot of people had doubts about the overall enterprise right from the beginning. Even our country's name, the United States of America, hints at a sense that our union is more forced than it is natural. A lot of people don't think about, you know, what a weird name that is for a country. But the actual name was crafted by a guy named John Dickinson, who was tasked with drawing up the first American Constitution, the Articles of Confederation. It's a claim that that which has not been united heretofore is going to be united from here on out. And that in time, the country will become the proof that this name was actually accurate in a way that when it was given, it was not. But what's interesting about Dickinson is that he's the only guy who voted against the Declaration of Independence at the Continental Congress. And the reason why he voted against it was because he thought the country was not united enough. He also coined the slogan several years earlier, United We Stand, Divided We Fall, which was this great revolutionary song. But when he was looking around in 1776, he saw all these conflicts over land, over taxes, over representation, over slavery. And he thought that the country, if it declared independence from Britain before deciding on a constitution, before forming a union together, would fall apart into some kind of vicious civil war. So he voted against the Declaration of Independence, even though at the same time, kind of leaving the Continental Congress in Philadelphia in a huff, he dropped on their desk the first draft of the Articles of Confederation, which begins, the name of this country shall be the United States of America. So this sense of like disunity is embedded right there in the very name that we, you know, so blithely talk about, you know, Joe Biden very solemnly. We are the United States of America. We are the United States of America. There's not a single thing we cannot do if we do it together. Behind that, underneath that is this whole story of disunity right from the very beginning. Kreitner believes that unity has always been more aspirational than realistic. Maybe it's just the law of entropy, but the United States has always been on the verge of breaking up. We all know the big one. In 1861, following the election of Abraham Lincoln, the South seceded to preserve slavery, leading to a four-year civil war. But did you know that before the Civil War, parts of the North actually wanted to leave the country? For the longest time, until 1860, 1861, the association of disunionism in American politics was with the North, not with the South, because there were these Northern abolitionists who were going around very loudly calling for a disunion of the country. Similar to Sean Forbes and the California National Party's argument for an independent California, abolitionists thought the best way to preserve their American ideals was to leave America. But after the war, the country spent decades hoping to avoid a conflict like that one ever again. The Civil War was a massive national trauma, after which we kind of repressed 
the cause of the dispute, which was slavery, but it was also this question of secession. How united are we really? And nobody wanted to run the risk of another civil war, which is how you have Reconstruction come to an end, because the North says, we're not going to send troops once again to enforce the Constitution and majority rule in the South. Kreitner believes that the decade following the Civil War, a period known as Reconstruction, might have been our best moment to really become a united States of America and embrace a multiracial democracy across the country. Instead, to avoid further war, the North capitulated to Southern demands, and the country also argued that secession was illegal. The U.S. Constitution does not have a provision for secession. There is a Supreme Court ruling, which a lot of people will kind of trumpet or trot out there from 1869, Texas v. White, in which the Supreme Court said, no, you can't secede. The Confederate government of Texas was not a legitimate institution. You can't secede from the United States. But that's only backed by the force of Union arms. You know, the Union won the war, and that's why secession is illegal in the United States or was deemed illegal in the United States. In other words, secession was illegal because the Union defeated the secessionists. If the South had won the war, then secession would very obviously have been legal. And if California decided to test the waters today, we'd have to see what happens. It's worth noting that California's state constitution declares it a, quote, inseparable part, end quote, of the United States. Secession efforts like the California National Party are hoping for would require a change to the state constitution, as well as several other tough hoops to jump through. But Kreitner doesn't think that the original colonies would have ever created the United States if they thought they'd be stuck in it permanently. Say what you will about them, and I would say a lot. The Confederates kind of had a point about the legality of secession. I think that the states that joined the Union in 1788, that ratified the Constitution, not a single one would have if the assumption was you can never leave. You know, you're joining this Constitution, you can never leave. In fact, some of the nation's founders assumed that California would eventually be its own country in some combination with Oregon and Washington state. You know, California plus Oregon plus Washington has always been something that's been bandied about, even back to the 1840s. You know, before California joined the Union, there was this idea that the Pacific Coast would be its own separate republic. Thomas Jefferson supported that. Daniel Webster supported that. A lot of people thought that it was just too far and too different from the rest of the United States. And there should be this separate Pacific Republic populated by Americans, allied with the United States, but independent from it. And that idea has continued, of course, through the 20th century. That's a scenario that he believes would work better than just a separate California. Because California isn't much more united than the United States. Los Angeles is very different from the Inland Empire or San Diego. The OC has very little in common with farm fields of the Central Valley. San Francisco is different from Eureka, which is different from Sacramento. These days, the urban and rural divide is more pronounced in America than the state divides, argues Kreitner. Certainly, the divide in American politics today is much more urban versus rural than state by state. You know, what state somebody lives in doesn't tell you a whole lot about which way they're going to vote. Something like 46% of Texans voted for Joe Biden in the presidential election. So it's not even like small minorities at all. And, And that's true in California. I saw something recently that the state with the most Trump voters by number is California. That's right. In terms of pure numbers, there were more Trump voters in California than in any other state in the country. That's something an independent California would have to account for. And it's why Kreitner thinks a real California secession movement would be a lot messier than the amicable divorce described by Dr. Leo Hanian and Sean Forbes. I do think that 
if it were to happen, it would not look like Scotland's referendum on independence or even Brexit, where it's just a peacetime referendum where then negotiations are opened, which is probably what the California separatists that you're talking to are imagining. I think it's much more likely that California secession or any other state secession is the consequence of some kind of massive political crisis in the United States rather than the cause of it. You know, it's going to be a response to a disputed presidential election or two pretenders to the presidency, something like that, where everything is kind of falling apart and states decide to pick up the pieces and reconstitute political authority at a more local level. The spike in secession talk is a sign that Americans are frustrated with their current political reality, almost at every level. But it's also a threat that's been there for a long time. I mean, all throughout American history, you have people playing both sides. You know, it's like today where Californians, after the 2016 election, Trump is elected, are thinking about Calexit and saying we should be our own independent country. And then Biden wins and you have Texas talking about it. And all the liberals are like, no, you can't do that. That's treasonous. He's right. These days, you're more likely to hear Senator Ted Cruz talking about Texit than to hear about a real Cal exit movement. Cruz says he wasn't there yet, but... And if there comes a point where it's hopeless then I think we take NASA, we take the military, we take the oil. (laughs) And that's the thing. Secession has always been a very effective threat for states to get what they want. It's this kind of ready-to-hand solution to any intractable political or even social dispute or even economic or, or religious dispute back in the day. You know, if you're unhappy with the way things are going, you could just pick up and move on. That instinct, as in peanuts, you know, take the ball and go home, is kind of a very common one in American politics. California has a lot of political power these days. Vice President Kamala Harris is a Californian. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the top Republican in the House, Kevin McCarthy, are also Californians. Without California, Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan would have never reached the White House. States like Texas and California have a lot of sway over the direction of the United States, even when they're frustrated. And rather than taking their ball and going home, the harder work may be forcing the United States to live up to its name and to its promise and to actually be united. When you look over the course of American history, we've never really been united. Because even at the moments where you think that we are, such as in the post-World War II era, you still have racial apartheid in the United States. You know, there have always been people left out from whatever claims to unity there have even been in the first place. At this time, where we're finally trying to make good on the promises of reconstruction, the founding ideals, in a way that's actually never been done before, We're either going to go one way or the other. We're either going to do that and accomplish that, consummate that, you might say, or we're not. And if we don't, the only other option is either one, we can break up, you know, we can dissolve into constituent parts of one form or another, or you're going to have some kind of totalitarianism over the entire country. And it seems to me that of those two options, a dissolution, a breakup is the superior option. I still hope we avoid it. I still hope that we go down the path of multiracial democracy and finishing the work of reconstruction. So while it's fun to daydream about what an independent California or an independent Texas might look like, the reality of getting to that point may create a whole host of new problems. And if the expression of succession is really the bubbling up with frustrations about how America works today, we may want to try reforming this country before we start to reform a bunch of new countries. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. 
Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. And now it's time for Richard Kreitner to join me for a little trivia about California and secession. Okay, question one. After European colonization, California has been a part of what three nations? What three nations has California been a part of? Uh, after European colonization, that'd be Spain, Mexico, and the United States. Although there was a three-week period where it was its own country, you know, according to some. Boom. Eat that trivia, people. He got that plus extra credit. <laughs> question number two, even though you really aced question number one, so I'm I'm optimistic. California was the 31st state admitted to the union. It joined in 1850. Name either the 30th state or the 32nd state. Do you want a hint? No. Um, I love it. No hint. That's my kind of guy. Um, well, Texas would be the, the 30th. No. But you still can name the 30. You, I used to, I'm giving you two guesses because there's two states. 30th or the 32nd. I'm giving you your hint. Both states are in the Midwest. Um, maybe Kansas would be the 32nd. Wisconsin and Minnesota. Oy. Oh, the bigger hint was the 32nd was the original home for the Los Angeles Lakers. Would you have gotten it if I gave you that? That'd be Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would have gotten that. Yeah, that's what I figured. So I only gave you half of the hint. Okay, question three. If you get this one, uh, I'm going to be extremely impressed. In San Francisco in 1859, this man proclaimed himself emperor of the United States and later called himself protector of Mexico. Mark Twain based the character of the king in the adventures of Huckleberry Finn off of him. Name that man. I have no idea. Emperor Joshua Norton. I'm going to write that down. Joshua Norton was born in England, grew up in South Africa, and somehow made his way to San Francisco in the late 1840s. In 1859, he declared himself emperor of the United States and for the rest of his life was treated with something like bemused kindness by the people of San Francisco. He even created his own currency that some places in town actually accepted. When he died in 1880, 10,000 people turned up for his funeral. Today, he's something of a folk hero, and there are still efforts to get the Bay Bridge named after him. Okay, here we go. We're going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Question four. In this popular post-apocalyptic video game series, the U.S. has collapsed and a new Republic of California has emerged. They even have a new flag with a mutant two-headed bear. Name the series which refers to the aftermath of nuclear war. Would that be Fallout? Yes, it would be Fallout. <laughs> Way to show your breadth of knowledge. Okay, last one. Question number five. California has more national parks than any other state in the country. How many are there? And I'm going to say within five. How many are there within five? More national parks than any other state in the country. 18. Nine. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which if we do five, you came close, but not right. For those of you playing along at home, the nine parks are Joshua Tree, Sequoia and Kings Canyon, Redwood, Lassen Volcanic, Point Reyes, Channel Islands, Death Valley, Pinnacles, and yes, Yosemite. Thank you to Richard Kreitner for joining us for trivia this week. Two out of five isn't that bad. And these were some of the hardest trivia questions we've had so far. Hopefully Richard isn't going to take his ball and go home now. 
So what would a world look like if California seceded? Well, if we put on our rose-colored glasses and imagine the best case scenario, we go through a somewhat peaceful divorce, leaving a very liberal California, a very conservative United States, and open trade and travel between the two. But if we look at the darkest timeline, well, maybe other states start to secede too, and the entire American experiment collapses. Fun times. Thank you to Dr. Leo Hanyan, Sean Forbes, and Richard Kreitner for joining us in our big thought experiment today. Let me know your thoughts on whether California should leave the U.S. by tweeting me at Chris C-I-L-L-I-Z-Z-A. And if you've got ideas for future topics, please send those to me too. Also, if you like our show, share it with your friends and make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Next time on Downside Up, what if the NCAA didn't exist? What would sports look like in the United States? We often lose track of the fact that what we're talking about is a multi-billion dollar entertainment industry that is embedded in our institutions of higher education. Downside Up is hosted by me, Chris Saliza. It's a production of CNN in collaboration with Pod People. At CNN, our producer is Lori Galaretta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Alexander McCall leads audience strategy for the show. Tamika Balance-Kalasny is our production manager, and Jameis Andrist and Nicole Pesaru designed our artwork. The team from Pod People includes Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, John Hammontree, Madison Lusby, Regina Deheer, and Morgan Foose. Theme and original music composed by Casey Holford. Additional music came from Epidemic Sound. Special thanks to Lindsey Abrams, Fuzz Hogan, Drew Shankman, Lisa Namoro, John Dianora, Katie Hinman, Robert Mathers, and Serena Sank. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.